Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. We are looking at the beginning of the gospel. Mark chapter 1 says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We've tried to look over what the gospel is. We've tried to look over who Jesus Christ is and what about Jesus Christ is such good knowledge. We've, we've seen already from the Word of God that uh, <clears throat> Jesus, the, the, the gospel is based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not just the work of Jesus Christ. And may I say, the work of Jesus Christ is death, burial, and resurrection. But it's the life of Jesus Christ that made the death, burial, and resurrection so important. And the life is that he is God come in the flesh. So you, you can't just say it's one or the other. It isn't. It's the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the scriptures say this, that that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that is, you're saying that I know Jesus is God come in the flesh, and will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that's got to do with his work. He can't be raised from the dead if he's not dead. So his crucifixion is what paid for our sins in full, but his resurrection is what gave us life. So that's important that we have all of those. He said if you'll do that, you'll be saved. So if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised us from the dead, raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Um, but we want to talk about how that gospel got started. And oddly enough, as he says, the beginning of the gospels, he says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All right, I'm going to do my timeline on the, on the platform again. I'm going to come back here, and I think there's a microphone stand or microphone outlet somewhere right in here. I don't want to lean too much. I'm not all that steady. Okay, right about here. And what we said, this is what marks for us the beginning of creation. This is where everything starts, okay? There's an eternity back here. Uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit living back here. There's no time back here. When they create things, they're creating time, matter, and space. In the beginning, that's time, God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth. God created all those things at one time. But in that time, as we know, there was a fall that took place, and God had promised there would be some deliverer that would come. Here, he chose a people, Abraham. And through those people, he was going to bring that promised seed. Whatever that Messiah was going to be, he was coming through that one. But he's also going to give us clues about how it's going to happen. So from Abraham on, through Moses and through all the prophets that we had all through here, he was giving us clues about what's going to happen. He was telling us that I'm going to send a messenger ahead of time. I'm going to send you a Messiah. This Messiah has things he's going to do. He's going to be the last king of the last kingdom on earth. That's all this, and that's all back here in these prophecies. And he's telling us that as was written in these prophecies, there is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. The Messiah is coming, so get everything squared away. He's telling us that there would be one coming. And the beginning of the gospel is, he came. He came. His name is John. And let's take a look at John just for a moment. 
John had some peculiar beginnings, and they were miraculous as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 1 to 5, 1, 5 through 25, 39 through 45, and 57 through 80 tell us these things. I'll let you read those because I've got a lot to cover, and I want to make sure that we get to all of it. John's parents were of the priestly order. Uh, they were the, both the, the son of Aaron, and he was a priest that was in the temple doing his work. It was his turn to come in the temple and trim up everything and make sure everything was good. While he was there, that, the, the, uh, um, the Lord came to him through the angel of the Lord and ministered to him. This couple was getting older, and they were childless. They were now past the time, kind of like Abraham and Sarah. They were past the time of having children. They couldn't have one. But he meets up with an angel there who tells him, you're going to have one. You're going to have a son. And he's saying, I don't see how that's going to take place. You know, I'm kind of old. She's kind of old. And he said, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to get to speak again until that baby's born. So he tells him, one one thing we know about this couple is that they're righteous and blameless. This, this couple was, um, according to the law, without fault in it. I know we a lot of times say, well, you, you can't keep the law. Listen, if he's a priest, he's remembering this. When I do break the law, what has God provided for me? A sacrifice. So if you understand, even if he did do something wrong or she did do something wrong, if they followed up by faith with a sacrifice, it's as if they had not. Are you following me? So this is a righteous couple, though it's childless. They're blameless, according to the law. If you, you can read that in uh, Luke chapter 1. But God is choosing them to be vessels of his will. These two are going to become vessels to bring in the one who was prophesied back here that's going to kick off the whole good news. That one little guy, okay, Now, they were promised an unusual son. What they said about him, and some have said he's a Nazarite. I don't know. It doesn't say he was a Nazarite. What it does say is that he was not going to be drinking uh, wine or strong drink. Alcohol was not going to be a part of his life. Now, Nazarite vows covered a lot of other things. Uh, There was things about your hair, things about not touching anything dead. It doesn't mention any of that about him. Um, it does uh, it, like it would do for Samson. Samson had a lot more mention about him than uh, John does. So he's not drinking wine or strong drink. And he makes this statement. He's filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Now, I want you to think with me about that. Filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Can I, I, just, I just want to make this, this observation. Filling of the Spirit comes from God not through something we do. You, you can't force God's hand to fill you with spirit because you did the checklist. You follow on? I remember there, uh, we used to have, years ago, there were guys preaching around saying, three steps to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What? Three steps to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you do this, this, and this, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, let, let me just say this. The baby John didn't do any of them. And he's filled with the Spirit from the womb. Everybody with me? 
This is something God is choosing to do because he's got something he wants to do with this particular boy. He's making him an important one. He had done the same thing with Jeremiah, the prophet. It's not unusual for God to do what he wants to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to be filled with the Spirit from the womb. Matter of fact, he's conceived by the Spirit in the womb. Going on further, he is given a specific mission from God. He was told, turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, I, I am going to have you turn to Malachi just for a moment, will you? That's a, go to Matthew and turn left. Okay. And let's come to the last chapter of Malachi, where he's talking about the great day of God. God has a day that's called the day of the Lord. That's the day where he's going to do a, a thing that no, no, no one else can do. Chapter, one, or chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. So they're the fuel. So all who do uh, wickedly and be, will be stubble. They're the fuel for the fire. The day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall grow out and grow, go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now watch what he says here. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So what are the people before that day supposed to do? They're supposed to have the law of Moses. They're, they're really focusing on the law of Moses. And with that law of Moses, he goes on to say, verse 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So he's promised that before Messiah comes back, before, I should say, before Messiah comes, he's going to send someone in the spirit of Elijah who is going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the children back to the law of Moses. They're going to be united together. They will agree about the law of Moses. They are motivated by God to uh, love the law and to be a par participant in it. So John is said to be the one who's going to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will minister in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, turn the disobedient to wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, God had said that that prophet, before that Elijah comes, that the people are going to start remembering the law of the Lord. That's going to be some important aspect to him, and John's going to be the one who gels all that, who puts all that together. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the children to each other, and both of them are going to look at the law of the Lord and want it. Number five in our outline here, he's recognizing the Messiah before either are born. While John is seven months in the womb, he's in his seventh month, Mary has been told she's going to have a child. And she's told that this child's going to be a holy one. This is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she's told to go visit Elizabeth, 
her cousin. So she goes to visit Elizabeth's husband while she is just starting with her pregnancy. That's going to get her out of the town, which is going to be a somewhat embarrassing thing as she starts showing signs of being pregnant when uh, she's not married yet. Okay. She comes into the house of Elizabeth, and the babe in Elizabeth's womb, that's John's mother, John jumps. As soon as he heard Mary's voice, he jumps. Elizabeth recognizes that, not as a, what's it called, Braxton, whatever. This is, this is not some false contraction, okay? She recognizes that my son responded. My son who is filled with the Spirit from the womb heard your voice and that stirred him up. He got excited about it. Now, I think all of us know, if, if, if you've done any, any study on this subject at all, the seventh month is the month in which children begin to recognize and discern voices. You hear the voice of your father, you know that voice. You hear the voice of your mother, you know that voice. You recognize and discern it. If there's somebody who's there regularly, that's a voice that you recognize. And I know that to be the truth because I've watched our children as soon as they're born who I've been speaking to for pretty much the nine months of it, especially the last two, I've watched them respond to my voice. One of them was on the uh, little warming table after he was born. And as we were at the, I heard him crying. So I went over and I, I called his name. I said, hey, hey, it's okay. Be willing. He shut up just like that. Okay? So I go back over to talk with the doctor and my wife, and he starts crying again. I go over again. I said, hey, it's all right, buddy. Just settle down. It'll be okay. Just like that, he'd stop. Okay? This happens a third time, and the nurse goes, hey, stop. Whoa. Doc, are you seeing this? That baby's stopping every time. That, and I said, yes, because he knows my voice. He heard it in the seventh month. He knows what my voice is. John's in his seventh month. He knows the voice of the Lord. Why? It's the Spirit of God that's in him, and the Spirit of God knows the Son of God. And he knows the mother that's carrying that baby. So he hears her voice. He's jumping. Everybody with me? That's, that's good stuff, guys. That's, that's something that doesn't just happen every day. That's an unusual thing. Let's look, go to Luke chapter 1 just for a moment because I do want you to see this. Luke chapter 1. Here his father, who's not spoken, he's well, he just had to make signs and write things. He hasn't spoken. And let's pick up with um, verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, 67. Now his father, Zacharias, the one who has not been able to speak, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. His son's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies saying this, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. There he's not talking about his son. He's talking about Mary's son. Because that's of the house of David. He's not. He's of the priestly caste. So he's not from the house of David. And he's saying that God has raised up in the house of David a servant. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Not Moses, Abraham. That's, he's going all the way back to the, the covenant that God made with Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So he's saying all the way back to Abraham. So I got David's right here. Back here is Abraham. And since the days of Abraham, God had promised this people some special promise. They'd be delivered from their enemies. So he's going all the way back to here and talking about everything that's been spoken of the prophets and David. Now we go further. That we can live in holiness and righteousness, verse 75 says, before him all the days of our life. And you, child, now he's speaking to his son, John the Baptist, who, by the way, is just a few days old. You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, to which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want you to take this last verse, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That is coming from Isaiah. And there he speaks about, I think in chapter 9, he speaks about the Gentiles, those are who live in the region of Galilee, the Gentiles who are um, living in darkness in the shadows, who don't have any covenant, who don't have any promise, they will be saved by this one too. So he's talking about the Jewish people are going to be saved by this one and the Gentile people are going to be saved by this one that his son is going to prepare the ways for. Fair enough? All right. So that's the prophecy of his spirit-filled father. His development in the wilderness. Now, Let's do a little refreshing, if we can, of all the things that are going on. This period that John is being born in is known as Second Temple Judaism. It starts about 300 B.C., and it works its way. Well, it's actually before then. It started with the, the building of the Second Temple. And from the Second Temple all the way through the destruction of that temple, that's called Second Temple Judaism. And there's some peculiar things that were happening during that time. We usually call that the silent years because God wasn't speaking, but God was still very actively working. There were lots of things going on during this time. This is the period of time that they're beginning to understand that it's about Messiah's time to come. They're recognizing from the book of Daniel, it's 493 years, if that was 493 or 400 and whatever years, 83, those 483 years are almost completed from what had been told in the prophecy that Messiah would come and be cut off. So they're looking just like Daniel had earlier. They're starting to count the years and going, whoa, 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 Messiah's got to be on his way. God is stirring up the people to the messianic hope. He's told them about what time it would come. It's about that time. And a lot of people are naming their son Yahshua. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. There's going to be one born, Yeshua, who is going to be the actual Messiah. But they're looking at all this, and God is stirring up people's hearts to love the Messiah. 
that's you're, you're, you're finding there there's all kinds of things that uh, are, are happening with demons at that time. In um, Revelation chapter 12, we are told that when the devil recognizes that it's nearly the time of the birth of Messiah, it says he takes his, his tail, and with his tail, he takes one-third of the angels and casts them to the earth. That one-third of angels are there to kill Messiah when he's born, as is the adversary. He's planning to kill Messiah. There is now going to be a lot of demonology and a lot of spirit work taking place. Now you're going to start seeing people that ha- are um, spirit-controlled, spirits-controlled. You're going to have evil spirits controlling people, unclean spirits controlling people. All of that's taking place at this time. Why? Because everybody knows now, God and the angels all know that the thing that's happening now, Messiah is about to come. So people are getting their hearts stirred up with that. And where do you find Messiah? Contrary to what some are trying to preach and teach today, you've got to have the Bible to know about Messiah. You, you can't dump the Bible and say, let's just talk about Jesus. No, it's in the Bible that you find out Messiah is coming. That's where it's all at. And a, a good knowledge of the Bible helps you understand when he's supposed to come, what he's supposed to be, what's he supposed to do, how am I supposed to respond. That was Messiah. And God's stirring up his people during that time. And there were a number of people who said, you know, we're, we're out of here. We're, we're going someplace where we can be alone and see what God is. We, we want to live the law. We want to live holy lives. And a lot of people left. They left Jerusalem. They left some of the other places, and they come to live in the communities known as Essenes. The, the Qumran district is believed to be one of those where people were leaving the cities, leaving everything else, and living there in these places. Back in Jerusalem... The Sadducees had corrupted by their political power the temple. So everybody that's knowing the temple is knowing this is not a good place. They've corrupted the temple. And also in Jerusalem, it's politically corrupt. There there are people buying off, selling off. There there are assassins happening all the time. There's movements rising that are going to overthrow this or going to overthrow that. Romans are getting more oppressive all the time. All of that stuff is going on at this same time. Everybody with me? If I can say, not a whole lot different than today. It's about the same kind of thing. I just want you to know, history, sin repeats itself. And it's a cyclical thing that has a straight path it's going to. So... um, there were many background movements at that time. The Pharisees started at that time, and they started out as a great bunch of people. There wasn't any something wrong with the Pharisees at first. It was as the Pharisees got to believe in themselves. That created a problem. When you are gonna, you've determined that you're going to do something for the Lord God, and you're going to live for the Lord God, and you're going to study the Word of God, then do that. But don't get to believing that you know all. Once you believe in yourself, you're done. Once you start believing that you're actually doing what you're teaching others to do, you're finished. We can't be righteous in ourselves. And the Pharisees reached that place that they thought of themselves as righteous. So that got corrupted. The Sadducees corrupted the temple. The people are leaving and they want to get out. 
uh, reading Josephus about the Essenes, and Josephus said this, they have no city of their own. In other words, there's not a city of the Essenes. They didn't take over somebody's city. They had a community out in the wilderness, but they had people in every city. What he said was, there's someone designated in every city to be the caretaker for travelers and pilgrims. In other words, there was a hospital that was set up there, a care center, a hospitality center, so that if you were traveling through, they made sure you had a place to stay. If you needed a meal, they made sure you had a meal. They were taking care of things. matter of fact, I was looking at some of the things that Jesus taught, the Essenes were also teaching about sharing your cloak, about traveling with someone, about being good to a neighbor. That was also going on with the Essenes. That kind of teaching was going on. Some have believed that Mary and Joseph had been a part of that whole Essene group in Nazareth. I don't know that. But I do know this. Many of the Essenes went into the wilderness to try to live a holy life. John uh, let's, let's, while you're here in uh, Luke chapter 1, which I think you should, should still be, verse 80. Here's what it says. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now, that's a big sentence. That just covered a whole lot of time. It says that he grew and got wise. I'm thinking this. This is my, you don't have to believe this. You're getting this one for free, and don't, don't teach anybody that this is the gospel. Here's the deal. John's parents are older people. There's a pretty good chance that somewhere along the line, they died before John grew up. That would have left John without a place to live. He already knew that people were out in the desert, John goes into the desert to live. Now, some say he was an Essene. I I don't know that. I know the Essenes were trying to get away from community. John wasn't doing that. John went to be taught by the Lord in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he came back to the people. That's not what it was with the Essenes. They didn't come back to the people. John came back to the people. He's come back. He's he's wanting to know, I'm going to tell you the word of the Lord. This is the word that the Lord gave me. Come, come. I, I want you to be here. I want you to come in. I want you to create a messianic community, someone that's believing in Messiah. Uh, going on further, his lifestyle, uh, John uh, ate locusts and honey and had camel hair for uh, clothes to wear. I, I, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I can just say this. That's a different attire than everybody else. Okay? That's not what everybody else was wearing. That'll, that'll make you kind of stand out. You, you know what I'm saying? So not everybody's going to see the same guy. But I do know this. Why did he go to the wilderness? Now, I want you to get this picture, guys. It is good to go to the wilderness. It's good to get out away from the city, the city for a while. Go away someplace. You say, well, who would do a thing like that? Jesus, John, Paul. Why? Because you need a perspective. You were created, fellas, in the wilderness and were taken to the garden. 
She's created in the garden where there's order. Then they're both moved out to the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that God gets, well, let's say this. When God led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, he took them to the Red Sea, crossed them through the Red Sea, and stopped their return. That water, is he's not opening it again to go back to Egypt. So now they're going to live in the wilderness. What's the plan for the wilderness? He got them out of Egypt. But in the wilderness, he's got to get Egypt out of them. Because they have been practicing the culture of Egypt. And the wilderness is the place to go to get yourself realigned. When God wanted Moses to become the leader, he takes him out out of Egypt with all the civilization and all the, the, the education he had there, and he takes him instead to the wilderness, and he teaches him in the wilderness, okay? John is learning from God in the wilderness who he is, what he's about. He's going to recognize himself simply as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, all right? Uh, let's go on. Page 2. Was it Paul Harvey said something like that, page two? Um, The message of the gospel from the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We can put together from both Mark and uh, Matthew and Luke um, in Luke chapter 3, in Matthew chapter 3, in John chapter 1. This is the message of John the Baptist. I'm not going to have you look them all up because, like I said, I do have a lot I still want to cover. His was to say, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. That you find in Mark chapter 1. So if you want to turn back to Mark chapter 1, we'll, we'll, we'll go there and work our way in that. His was, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John came baptizing in the wilderness, verse 4 says, and preaching baptism and remission for sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So he was teaching them, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That was in Mark 1, 3. Okay. In number B in our outline, he was preaching a baptism of the remission for the remission. I'm sorry, baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now let's let's do this. Repentance means change your mind. Get away from the way you have been thinking. Now I want you to watch what's taking place. God is already now preparing a people to come back to the Word of God. He's preparing a people to want to see Messiah. He's preparing a people, but they don't know who that is. They don't know how to gel their thoughts together. Here's John showing them how it all comes together. Here's the package. Now I'm telling you about the one that is coming. You've all been feeling it for some time. You've all been thinking it. Can I, can I just say this? We're all feeling and thinking that Jesus Christ is coming right away. We're watching the signs that take place, and we're getting that in. And among those people who believe such things, there's a certain excitement starting to build. We're watching everything now, everything we see. A war in Israel, <gasps> that opens up a whole new lot of things for everybody. Let's, let's see where this one's going to go. Will it end quickly? Will it go on? Will there be help from the north? Because if there's help from the north, I'm really getting spooked. You know, this really means the time is coming. It really means that we're knocking on the door. There's a lot of things. 
we are a people who with that, we're having that messianic hope. If I can be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, I'm just going to say this. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. But one guy says, you know, just get things worked out. Get it straight. Know who you are and start believing the gospel. Stop worrying about everything else around you and get that gospel because if what, is, what we're seeing is what is taking place, the gospel is the only thing that's going to make any sense. All right? Let me go on a little further with you. He was preaching the baptism of repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. So whatever you have been thinking was the way of salvation, change your mind about that. It, it, this is not about repenting of sins, though that is going to be involved with it. Not, I'm, not, I'm not taking that away at all. I'm just saying this. Change your mind about God. That's what this is. Who's the real authority? Who do you see as the real authority? For, for many of them, they saw the Pharisees as the authority, not God beyond the Pharisees. Some saw the Sadducees as the authority, not the God beyond the temple. Some saw political um, leaders as the way. Change your mind. They're not it. They are not going to help you. They are not going to deliver you. It is the Messiah who's going to deliver you. All right? So he was preaching a repentance. Change your mind about that. And I'm baptizing you into a new group of people. I'm baptizing you into a group of messianic people, people whose whole heart and mind are set on Messiah. That's what they're about. Look, look, he goes on to say, he was preaching the kingdom of God is coming. Matthew and Luke both tell us that Jesus, and so does John, now that I think about it. This telling us that Jesus, he was preaching, John was preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. A reminder once again, the kingdom of God is the combined total of the kingdom of heaven, in which there's rebellion now, and the kingdom of earth, in which there's rebellion now, and he's bringing the God-man who is the kingdom of heaven, and man, the kingdom of earth, and one guy is reconciling both of those. The kingdom of God will be back together again as rebellion is squashed in uh, heaven, and rebellion is squashed here, and a new people and a new group of the sons of God will be in power, and you'll see a new thing with a new leader of the Lord Jesus Christ as king of kings. That's the kingdom of God. So when John comes preaching the kingdom of God, he's preaching God's about to bring it all together. Rebellion is about to end. So straighten up. Repent. Turn from everything you've been thinking about, the ways you've been thinking, and start thinking the gospel. He starts declaring the Messiah who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Look, if you would, at verse 6 of Mark chapter 1. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to, be, to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is telling the Messiah that you've all been expecting, the Messiah you've been wanting is coming. He's right behind me. I'm the one preaching before him, and he's on his way. He's coming. Going on with me. Letter E. He's calling all to repent, for the wrath is also coming. Fiery judgment, repentance must have fruits worthy of confession. Pharisees came out because they, they began to see the people are following John, not following them anymore. So they go out to the desert and see him. So, John, um, who are you? Well, I'm voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, are you the prophet? 
No. Well, are you, are you, are you Messiah? Oh, no. No, 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 no. He's coming later. Okay, so what are you up to? And he says, you brood of vipers. I, I, I think that's Old Testament talk for not nice stuff, okay? <laughs> so whatever that means, brood of vipers, who warned you? Who warned you of the judgment that's coming? If you're interested in this at all, if, you, if you're concerned about what we're doing here at all, then here's what you do. Repent and bring forth fruits that are worthy of repentance or pipe down. You're in the way right now. So either get it right with God or know that you're going to be in the fiery judgment. That's what's coming. You had one of two choices there, all right? So he's saying, teaching the fruits of repentance. Uh, there were several people who said, well, look, we're in the army. What are we supposed to do? And he told them how to bring forth repentance. They said, well, we're tax collectors. How are we supposed to do it? And he told them how to do it. He's teaching them what the fruits of repentance are. The method used by uh, the one crying in the wilderness, spirit-filled, convicted preaching, convicting preaching of the word of the Lord. And the people the Father were drawing came to him. So the people God had stirred up about Messiah started coming to John, and now they're flocking to him because they realize John's got the story. John's told us Messiah is coming, and now they're starting to look around every place. Which one is it? And when John sees him, John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John has recognized who Messiah is. Remember, that's the same kid he recognized back here in the womb. He's recognizing him now as soon as he sees him because God told him what to look for when it happens. Well, anyway, we'll, more about that later. He's preaching in the wilderness away from the cities and the confusion of busyness and distraction. Once you get away from the city and the distractions that go on with it, you start thinking differently, and he was thinking differently. He was telling people, start thinking differently. Don't think the same way you've been thinking before. Get, you're away from the distractions now. You know what's bothering. You know what you're really concerned about. Trust Messiah. He's the one who has it. He was demanding genuine repentance with evidence before baptism. He's not just going to baptize everybody because you say, I want to get in the water. He is saying, no, show some repentance. Show that you, you really are trusting who you are. A lot of people have done that before. There are a whole lot of things of uh, different people in the, in the past where they, they had real, real classes before you did it that you're, you're finding out, and they're finding out from you, are you serious? Are you genuine? Are there things you haven't let go? Is there anything that you're not willing to turn loose of? Is there anything you're going to hold on to? Because if you're planning to hold on to something, we won't baptize you yet. When you're willing to give up trust in yourself, we'll baptize you. When you're willing to give up trust in whatever charms and things you have, we'll baptize you. But if you're not there yet, then just wait. And that's the way this was. John was saying, no, you bring forth fruits of repentance. When you've done that, then I'll baptize you. And when the people came confessing their sins, now let's make sure we remember what confessing their sins means. To confess means to say the same thing. That's what the word means. To confess means you're agreeing with God that what you're doing is rebellion against him. Not just a mistake, not just an error, but it's rebellion against him. It's self-centered. It's what you wanted to do instead of what he wanted to do. It's a violation of the law, 
And you're not, you're not holding back anything. You're saying that's what it is. And the people that were being baptized by John were confessing those sins. They were confessing, this is what we've done wrong. It's like reading Daniel chapter 9 all over again. The confession that Daniel's making, I have sinned and my parents have sinned and we've all sinned. And you're, you're confessing that because you're wanting to let that world go and a new world come in because you're about to get into the world of Messiah. That's what baptism's about, kids. Baptism's about leaving everything else behind, turning your back on that stuff and receiving Christ and living in that messianic community with Christ. Let me go on a little further with you there. Letter D, baptizing people who turn from sin to the messianic promise of delivery, separating from the current system in expectation of the new. They, were, they knew what the law was, but they knew that the law wasn't what was being lived at the temple because it was corrupt. They knew it wasn't what the Pharisees were doing because they're writing all kinds of stuff with it. They're, they're making big footnotes to the Scriptures, and they can't even keep the stuff that they're saying. So they're leaving that system, and they're looking now at what Jeremiah said, there's a new covenant God's going to make, not like the old covenant. And by John bringing up baptism by the Holy Spirit, they're recognizing this. That's Ezekiel 36. By saying baptism the Holy Spirit, people are going to be filled with the Spirit of God. They're going to have the Spirit of God in them. That's how they're going to live. Not self-effort trying to get things done. No, the Holy Spirit. And they're looking, some guy is out here that can baptize us with the Holy Spirit, that can put that Holy Spirit in us. That's who we want. That's who we want to be with. So they were confessing their sins, no pretense, but agreeing with God that what had been done was in violation of him. Now, what difference does that make to us? That's a great story that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, here's what it is. This gospel that John is preaching is about the person and work of Christ. He's telling them, there's someone coming that's greater than I. That's the Messiah. He's coming. That's the one you got to trust. He will baptize you with the Spirit. Whatever work he does... Follow that. But he is the one who's coming. This is the one. The gospel is about the person and work of Christ. It's not about ethics. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about joining a church. It's not about doing some ritual. It's about actually trusting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, getting into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So if I can go further, letter B. The gospel has a twofold work. The gospel does two great things. First thing, because Jesus Christ was crucified, the scriptures tell us that with his crucifixion, he is crucifying all those who are with him. You put your faith in him, he's getting rid of the old man. He's crucifying the old man. Now, I think most of us know that. Most of us live right there. We'll, we'll sing songs, Christ died for me, Christ died for me, Christ died for me. Yes, yes. But if that's where you're going to end the song, you need to get a new melody because that's not the end of the song. It's twofold. Christ died for me. That takes care of me and a separation from what I was. That takes care of me and my justification before Almighty God. By, by crucifying that old man, I'm done. 
All that work that's mine in the past, all that sin that's mine in the past, and may I say, all that sin that I might do in the future, that's done. He's paid for it. That's not the end of the story. I remember I was baptizing a little boy, and I was asking him about what, what happened on the cross. He said, well, Christ died for us. I said, right. I said, baptism is, is Christ dying for us. It's a picture of you. So you're gonna, I'm going to be the one holding you. So just like you were dead, I'm going to put you under the water. And I said, so what happened three days later? And the little guy's eyes were getting pretty big. And I thought, what's the panic here? You said, how long do you keep me there? (laughs) I said, no, 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 no. You're you're coming right back up. It's a picture. It's a picture. And here this little guy thought, man, three days. (laughs) I don't know. Hold my breath that long. (laughs) Well, at any rate, my point is this. He's alive. That's where you're supposed to live. You follow me? Old guy died. New guy is alive. And that's where we live. If if you're going to keep talking all the time about, yeah, Christ died for me, I'm just a sinner, I'm just battling, I I understand where you're coming from. And i got to tell you, you got to go through that. You have to go through that. You have to go through it where you're enough of your self-effort finally makes you sick enough that you're willing to say, I can't do it. I'm undone. And when you come to that point, may I say, bless God, you're ready for the second part of the gospel. Because you've got to die to you. Children of Israel, come out of Egypt, they've got to be in the wilderness. Why? To get separated from what Egypt was. And all of us have to get separated from what the old religious us wanted. We've got to get separated from that self-effort so that we can finally cross over into the promised land of God helping us fight the battles that are out there, of God winning and God doing all kinds of things through us. You understand where we're coming from? It's the Jerichos where he's pushing down walls. You didn't push, they didn't push down the walls. They did what was supposed to after the walls were pushed down by somebody else. You follow where I'm coming from? Because it's a team effort. You're not trying to live the Christian life by yourself. It's a team effort. Christ is in you doing this work in you. Live in the resurrection. Don't live in the crucifixion. The crucifixion is overdone. That's why it's called buried. It's finished. Now he's risen from the dead. If ye then be dead with Christ why, from the basic principle world, why do you keep following basic principles? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand, where the Father is. Set your mind on things of, of heaven. Stop setting, setting them here on the earth. You are in process of being changed. All right? Uh, and then letter C, in our, our, uh, our response is to trust the person and work of Christ. That's what it is. It's not about doing something. It's about trusting the person and work of Christ. So if you're wondering, why is all this happening to me? Why is all this stuff happening to me? I'm glad you're asking that question because it's the process. It's got to be when you finally come to the end of that, you're seeing, 
I'm undone. I cannot do this work. I cannot be a Christian. I don't know how to do that. It's in that surrender when you finally come to the Holy Spirit and say, I want to live the resurrection. I want to live the new life. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for his death, his burial, his resurrection, for the new life that we have in him. We ask just now then in Jesus' name, you'll open our hearts to this great truth. Help us to see the gospel for what it is. Thank you for John. Thank you for the message that John was giving to frustrated people that there is a Messiah coming. To people who were being stirred to follow but had no way to know what it was. Thank you for John, Father. Thank you for all that he did. Thank you for raising up someone like him. And then, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you in this week. You are people who have been fully gifted. You have the Holy Spirit. And you can live by the resurrection. I'd like to encourage you to live by that resurrection this week. Fair enough? All right. Wayne, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Pastor, thank you for those words today. Uh, Let's remember what was said today as we leave here and really take it to heart what the Lord has done for us. Took care of the old man. He's going to take care of the new man. And let's walk in that. Our Father, today we are grateful, most grateful, for being here today and being allowed to hear your word being preached and taught to us, to speak to us uh, those things that are most important in these days that we now live in. As we dismiss, Lord, we dismiss and ask for your blessing. We ask that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts, to stir our hearts, to keep us moving forward. If it wasn't for the Lord, we wouldn't be here. And we thank you that we are here for the privilege that we have to meet together like this, to praise you, to thank you, to hear your word being taught. Dismiss us now, we pray, Lord, with your blessing, and we ask that uh, these words would continue to be uh, nurtured in our hearts as we leave. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.